0: Uh, Let yourself be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For as it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then, who believe, he is precious. And for those who do not believe, well, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. This is the Word of God for us today. Mother's Day. It's a joy to celebrate this day for so many of us. And yet, when we begin to talk about mothers and motherhood, it becomes a very complex set of conversations that can quickly emerge. In a New York Times piece this past week, a medical doctor by the name of Alexandria Sachs wrote an essay about Mother's Day. She drew from the work of Daniel Stern, who'd written several books about motherhood, including one called The Birth of a Mother, which uh, explores the identity issues that happen when a person, when a woman uh, becomes a mother. That giving birth to a new identity occurs in that moment that is as demanding as giving birth to a baby. That becoming a, a mother is an identity shift, and one of the most significant physiological and psychological changes a woman can ever experience. And with that come then a whole range of, of uh, issues and emotions and possibilities, some for uh, women who cannot become a mother, or for some of us who've had mothers that were not so good, and on and on it goes. And expectations begin to rise about what it means to be a mother, Alexandria Sachs continues to explore that in her essay about uh, issues of not being able to do uh, all that you want to do, that being a mom has all kinds of conflicting realities that mothers feel guilty because they're always making challenging and sometimes absolutely impossible choices requiring to put your needs aside in order to take care of the needs of a child. And it, it gets very complex and very challenging. We see it pop up in lots of ways, sometimes humorously. The late Irma Bombeck writes about this when she takes up a pen and imagines Martha Stewart writing a letter to Irma. And uh, she expresses it this way. Hi, Irma. This perfectly delightful note that is, is now being sent to you, I made it by myself to tell you what I've been up to. Since it snowed last night, I got up early and made a sled from old barn material and a glue gun. I hand-painted it with gold leaf and then got out my loom and made a blanket in peaches and mauve colors to go on it. Then to make the sled complete, I made a white horse to pull it from some uh, leftover DNA molecules that I found laying around in my craft room. Uh, by then, it was time to start making the placemats and napkins for the 20 uh, breakfast guests coming over. I'm serving the old standard Stewart 12-course breakfast. <laughs> uh, but I'll let you know in on a little secret. I didn't have time to make the tables and chairs this morning. I'm just using some I have on hand. <laughs> uh. Then I moved on to the table, into the dining room. I decided to add a touch for the holiday. So I painted the room in uh, colors of pinks and stenciled gold stars on the ceiling. That was while the homemade bread was rising. <laughs> and on and on it goes. Right, we get that and we laugh at that. And, and, and thank you for laughing because that's kind of hard on a, you know, I didn't know whether that would work or not. But, but don't we, we see that and we go, oh, that's just silly, it's silly. And yet, somehow or another, so many women's identity gets wrapped up in stuff like that. Men have their own issues, Mother's Day today, I'm talking about women today. But the point I want to drive at is how tightly our identity as human beings gets tied up into stuff, important stuff, incredibly valuable things, and yet we can find ourselves stressed and uh, distressed by the way in which we seek after identity in the world. This gets complicated in other ways in our culture today, partly because of the way in which digital uh, realities begin to play in us. I mean, how long has it been since you've seen preachers running around with iPads, right? Uh, but to think about this, if, if you've, and I'm speaking to anybody here who has a Facebook account, okay, which is a lot of you, that we continue to digitize our identity, uh, and that becomes really problematic. We begin to push ourselves, who I am, out into digital space, a space that doesn't even really exist, And it becomes to kind of blow our brains, and it presses us to ask, what does it mean to be human? At least before the internet, who I was basically was within the circle of my family, and the place of work, and my church life, and and my my physical social life. But today, who I am is actually all of those things, plus everywhere in the world. Because of Facebook, you are all over the place. And you find yourself having to wrestle with how do you manage that. It destabilizes who we are. We have a million ways to project who I am through all kinds of photographs and hashtags and truncated text and avatars and the whole nine yards. We don't know who we are anymore in a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram age. Who are we really? Really? And what do we make of our identity? Well, I raise all of that because that's what our writer is doing here in this text, in 1 Peter. 1 Peter is is, is this message from this ancient preacher to, most scholars believe, a, a young congregation full of brand new baptized Christians. And you know what he's wanting to say to them? He's wanting to say to them, here is who you are. Here is your identity. This is who you are. And so he evokes in this language, uh, language that they would hear in their time and place as language that evokes the waters. There's there's a baptism, baptistry back there, right? You know that. That's what I'm pointing at. He, He evokes for them their baptismal moment. He says, now get rid of all that stuff that, can, that bogs us down, insincerity, slander, and all that other stuff. And then you hear that language, like newborn infants, think about baptism, long for the pure spiritual milk. Oh, I forgot to tell you, in this early, late first, early second, third centuries, it was a common practice in many places that when a person was baptized, this sounds a little strange, but if you're a Bible student, you'll get it right off. That when you come up out of the waters of baptism, you were given a new white garment to wear, symbolizing your new life, and you were given milk and honey to drink, to taste and see that the Lord is good. As he says here in this text. He's reminding them that they have been ushered into a new reality of existence in and through the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. That's who you are. He was trying to anchor them in a deep sense of conviction uh, about their identity and place. This is, a, this is something that we long for, he, he's suggesting, and, and wants us to desire it deeply. You know, our identity and our name are tightly uh, woven together. I got to witness it this past week, yesterday actually. ACU had their graduation exercises, as Angelo State and so many other places did yesterday and in these days. ACU has two of them. I sat through one, two hours, five minutes, long time. But my daughter, Leslie, who's often come with us, many of you have met her, uh, uh, teaches German. She's also fluent in Spanish and, and, and knows a little French, a little Russian. And if you're really geeky, she actually knows three, all three of Tolkien's elven languages. That's how geeky she is. And she, she can tell you the difference. But anyway, she was the one who was invited to do the name reading. You know, so hundreds, nearly just under a thousand students. She read names for four or five hours yesterday. And she was telling us Friday night at the dinner table that during rehearsal on Friday, they announced that she would be, you know, Miss Reed will be the one reading your name. And if you if you want to make sure your name gets read right, then go speak to her. She said hundreds lined up. Well, why? People want their name read right, right? She said it was kind of surprising. She expected the Japanese students, the Chinese students to show up, students from Eastern Europe, right, with all those funny vowels, you know, all those lots of consonants and no vowel names. Uh, and uh, But she said the ones that were the most persnickety were uh, just white Texans who wanted to make sure that we would said uh, uh, Megan instead of Megan, uh, that kind of thing. So sort of kind of interesting but uh, what what was interesting that happened yesterday it was a real tender moment that I saw but did not fully get until last night as she told me the story a graduate student who had not had the chance to tell her how to pronounce her name who is from Puerto Rico I I know the student he has four or five very Puerto Rican Spanish names And, and it's a lovely array of words names all strung together but he began to panic. I could see him speak to the attendant as he was making his way up. And, uh, and what he was saying, Leslie later told me, was he was just as loud as he could in a whisper, stage whisper. It's Spanish, it's Spanish, it's Spanish. As he hands his name to the attendant and turns to walk on the stage. And of course, my daughter, who's fluent in Spanish, just nailed it. You know, it's. And what was so powerful in that moment was the huge smile that went across this young man's face when his name was said correctly in a world where it often isn't. You know what I'm talking about, right? You understand how important this is, how our identity is tied up in all of this. And, and Peter is trying to draw these young Christians to say, look, you've tasted the milk. You understand what it means to be Christian. You understand that our life is not disconnected from something. It's actually, and now he begins to work on a new kind of metaphor. He begins to talk about, it's sort of strange, but this is what he says. He says, there is a living stone that we are anchored to. And he begins to use construction language to talk about how deep and strong our identity is in Jesus Christ. I've, I've been a part of a number of churches, and I went through a, an opportunity to be the, the the lead staff person on the building of about a $5 million sanctuary. I know what foundations look like. They spent months with what looked like nothing happening, and yet down, down, down in the earth, away they dug. Brian tells me that the... the, the uh, Thank you. Family Center has got pylons, is that the right term, that go down 40 to 60 feet. Stuff that you or I will never ever see and yet day after day as we walk inside these beautiful buildings, those foundation stones create the safe and open space that we enjoy These walls, this ceiling, all that we enjoy are actually resting on stuff that we cannot see deep, deep, deep down in the earth. Jesus is our cornerstone, He tells us. And we sang it just a little bit ago. He's the one who anchors our life, gives meaning to our life, gives us shape and depth and width and height that all rests on Jesus Christ. And you know what? This is what gets kind of weird. He says it's a living stone. And He says that we're living stones. We don't know what he's doing here. I really don't. It's one of these ones I want to ask Peter. What do you mean by a living stone? Stones are inanimate objects, it seems to me. But in the ancient world... In the ancient world, the idea of having a building like this building, a wonderful broad building with columns and all that goes to it, that the idea of having something built on stone that is anchored in the earth and rises up and provides protection and space for human beings was known to be or seen to be something that is, listen to this language, life-giving. That is, it gives to life, it enhances life, it enthuses life in the inhabitants of it. Maybe what Peter is saying here is that as Christian people, as we claim our identity in Jesus Christ, we find the very life that we seek and long for. Oh, you see, I think so much of our time, we have one foot sort of stuck into all this Christian spiritual church stuff, But most of the time, we've got our other foot out here anchored in all kinds of other stuff. Our jobs, our careers, our hobbies, our sports, our accomplishments, our resumes, our capacity to know stuff about popular music. Our, and on and on and on it goes, even to the point we begin to tie ourselves deeply to our identities as fathers or mothers, uh, which and all of these things are important, and all of them are uh, have their place in our lives. But if at the core of who we are, if we are neglecting to have both of our feet firmly rooted in this metaphor of, of participating in the living stones of Jesus Christ, all of those other things will find themselves uh, on unstable inadequate ground to give us the ground of our being. Are you following me? Do you understand what I'm I'm suggesting here? What I'm suggesting is that because of our baptism into Jesus Christ, we have been given a place that shapes our identity as sons and daughters of God, as living stones being built up into the life of and community that God is creating in and through Jesus Christ. And it's something that he brings up together, something that exists uh, because of God's action and decisive action on our part uh, in, in ways that stand far beyond anything that we seek to do, but it's something that God gives to us. That is to say that our identity is rooted in not who I am, but who we are in our life with God. That's where our identity really lies. Now, we recognize that a lot. That's why Mother's Day is so important. Because as a mother, your relationship is connected to your children. It's part of who you are, right? And if you're in this room and alive, then there's some mother somewhere that got you here, right? Relationships are the way in which we are formed and what peter is arguing here is that anchors itself it begins and ends in our relationship in and through jesus christ and i mean i'm just simply asking this morning that we value that that we live into it that we recognize the value of what we have as being the chosen people a holy nation a, a group of priests that live together for the sake of god All of this language that Peter is using. You've seen that uh, Antique Roadshow, right? The the, um, show's on NPR. It's been going on for years and years and years, probably in reruns for the last 20. But nonetheless, you've seen it. There's one of those episodes that really uh, caught me some years ago. It's a, it was an incident where a fella had been given from, by somebody an old blanket that he had sort of just strewn over a chair in his bedroom and had been there for years. But the Antiques Roadshow came into town, and he kind of gathers it up and uh, heads out, gets there, and they spread it out on a nice little rack, and the expert gets to working on it. And you know, what, you know how these things go, right? People got the stuff that they don't know what its real value is. Well, come to find out this old blanket that he had was indeed old. It came from the 1840s. It was a rare Navajo blanket, a blanket that there were only two or three like it in the world, and they were all in museums someplace. A blanket that was so rare that they guessed that it probably was worth about a half a million dollars, 500,000 bucks. He went out the door a lot differently than he did coming in it wasn't just wadded up it was neatly folded right he came in by himself he went out with a pair of security guards he didn't go home he went to the bank he opened up a large deposit box and laid it in there gently with tissue paper and made a call to the local you know he started working on this right why what be- it's in that moment when he discovered what it was that had truly been given to him. Church, we have been given life. We have tasted that the Lord is good. We have been invited in to be a part of a structure that stretches our, our imagination to, to the metaphor of, of living stones. We've been called in to live that kind of life. Let that reality be the thing that shapes our identity. One more story. This one touches me deeply because it reminds me of how remarkable and powerful the wise words of mothers and grandmothers and women can be in our life, that shape us. Perhaps you know the name. It's probably buried maybe back in your memory somewhere. A woman by the name of Melba Patio Beals. Melba was a 17-year-old African-American girl who in 1957 was one of the Little Rock Nine. Do you remember this? This is one of those dark places in American history where these nine were nine... African American students began the work of integrating the Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas. They went under armed guard. The National Guard was there threats it was a horrible year for those nine as they uh, sought to uh, get an education at Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, mattia is a uh, excuse me Matilda was A very bright person, uh, excuse me, (coughs) Melba. (coughs) Melba is very bright. She went on to do a Ph.D. uh, at UCLA. But in that moment, it required a great deal of courage to be a part of that moment, that dark, dark moment. She writes in her biography about her grandmother. Her grandmother. Her grandmother said to her in this, she said, you must fight for this work of integration And here's how you do it. She says, remember that we are God's ideas. That was her grandmother's way of saying a living stone. It was her way of saying, you are valuable because of God's gift in and through you. We are God's ideals, her grandma said. And you must strive to be the best of what God has made you. That grandma, Grandma India she was called, gave deep wisdom to her granddaughter and may her tribe increase. We need women and grandmas and aunts and wise women, people of God, sisters in the faith to speak and remind us all that no matter what we may find ourselves doing, no matter where we may be in jobs and careers, that at the heart of who we are is that we are living stones in the work of God. May that message this morning remind us and call us to trust ever more deeply in the work of Jesus Christ in our lives, even now as we stand and sing. It is so sweet to